I thought before we dug into the scriptures this morning, I'd take just a moment. Uh, I know many of you are aware of the fact that this will actually be my last February service in February that I'll be with you. I leave this Wednesday for Rwanda, and I'll be there through the end of the month. I'll be returning on the 29th of February. So wheels up to wheels down. I'm gone 21 days. And um, I'll be in Kigali for the majority of the time, which is the capital of, of Rwanda, although I will be traveling out to the south at the end of the trip to a part of the country I've not been to before with an opportunity to visit with some of the pastors there and to encourage them. And in addition to kind of being in worship with the churches through the three Sundays that I'll be there, I'll also have the privilege in the middle Sunday, the 19th, uh, to join them in dedicating what we're calling the Rwandan Tabernacle, because of the number of gener- generous donations, we've been able to buy a large commercial tent for them to use to plant new churches. And so I've been referring to it as a Rwandan Tabernacle, a place that they can move around throughout the country and, and where people can come and meet God. So uh, we're going to have a chance to dedicate that one there. And that's the Sunday I plan to call back into the services if we can work that out technology-wise again this year uh, from the satellite phone that I'll have and have a chance to share with you a little bit what the, what the day was like. But primarily, both weeks that I'm there, the main weeks, I'll be teaching, same 55 pastors uh, that I worked with last time, and this year we'll be focusing, the first part, the first week we'll focus on a detailed study of the book of Ephesians, which will actually kind of morph into like a sermon preparation kind of workshop or seminar, where they'll actually begin to put together sermons based upon the various parts of the book of Ephesians, so they can begin to teach and preach through a book, which is something that they currently aren't able to do, and so we'll be working them in that journey. Then the second week, we'll be just doing a, uh, Frank Reynolds will be joining me, and we'll be um, working through just a basic doctrinal overview, like, you know, what is the Bible, and who is God, and who is Jesus, and where does the Holy Spirit fit in, and you know, what is the church, and who's man, and sin, and salvation, and all those kind of wonderful basic things that they actually struggle to have a good grip on. And so, I appreciate your prayers, Lord God. There will be a, a blog spot. It's entitled Good Rain 12 blogspot.com. And for those of you who aren't familiar with why we use the word good rain, when I was there the first time in 2010, I was asked by one of the pastors to be a good rain. And that's a rain that comes back over and over again. So we've been using that as a, as a reference for the, the, the work that we've been trying to do. This morning, um, we're going to continue in our series, um, a short series entitled Standing on the Promises. And we've been working through a, a journey, if you will, looking at some promises of God to us that are particularly powerful in light of where we've been as a congregation over the last six months or so. You know, we started out back in September, really beginning to look at how it is that God wants to use the church, how God wants to use this church to change the world. And and part of our, our reaction is that that feels like a lot of weight on us. You know, it's heavy to think that we have an obligation as the 300 to 350 people who gather here together on a regular basis on Sunday mornings. It's, I think that our job is to, is to change northern Worcester County for Christ, to change our state for Christ, to change our nation for Christ, to change the world for Christ. It's like, ugh, and it feels really heavy. And then we moved right into what does it really take for us to live our lives with the end in mind, with an awareness now of what's going to happen in all of eternity and, and all of the... the if you will, almost all the effort that requires to kind of deny self and, and to put off instant gratification and to commit to fall. And, and it's just like more and more work, kind of more pressure on us. And I think somewhere in that whole journey, and, and, and the list just kind of went on as we descended into the Advent conspiracy and then looked at our challenge to be disciple makers. And, and all of it, again, just feels like more and more. So we've been looking at the promises of God and how it is that the promises of God prepare us and equip us to handle all of that 
wait. And, and today I want to deal with what I think is, is a pretty natural question for all of us to ask. When we think about taking on the load with God, becoming partners with God and trying to change the world, and that being our life mission, and we take on the idea of denying ourselves and putting off instant gratification and all those kinds of things and trying to really live purposeful, disciplined lives that have our eyes on the prize, it's, it's only natural for us to ask the question, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Maybe we might ask, well, is it really worth it to live this way? Or maybe another way we might approach that question is, when I'm faced with a choice of kind of doing life my way or the way that everybody else is doing it, which at times looks pretty, pretty happy, you know, or doing it God's way, am I really convinced that doing it God's way is best? You know, we're not the first people to ask that question. What's in it for me? What do I get from this? Not the first time that question's been asked. In fact, the very first time that we see it in the New Testament, it comes from the mouth of the Apostle Peter. He asks the Lord in Matthew chapter 19, what's in it for us? If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Matthew chapter 19 with me. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text on page 832 today. And I'm going to read the text as we kind of work our way through it in just a moment. But I think it's very important to put this in context so that we understand how it is that Peter came to ask this question. And in the midst of that, to interpret how Jesus responded to him. Immediately before this experience in Matthew 19, and we see the same thing over in Mark chapter 10, Jesus had had the encounter with a rich young ruler. Now, a lot of you are familiar with a rich young ruler, but let me just kind of bring the details back to our current memory. You know, this young man who was really blessed with all the privileges that the world had to offer. He, he, was, a, he was a young man who had, had every opportunity, had all the financial means, he had all of the best things in life, and he comes to Jesus, and he wants to have a sense of assurance that his competency and his behavior is enough to get him into heaven. And so he comes to Jesus, and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins to tick off some of the things that flow out of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't lie, you know, don't take advantage of it, those kinds of things. And, and the young man, you can see his, light, his face just kind of getting brighter, I think. You know, as he's saying, you know what? Since my youth, and I think what he's really saying is, since I knew I really needed to keep those things, I understood what they meant, I've done all that stuff. And the scripture says that Jesus looked at him and he had a deep love for him. And he said, you know what? There's one thing that you lack. To go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And, um, and the young man, his face just fell. Because the scripture says he had many possessions. And he walked away. And Jesus reached out and he taught his disciples. He, you know, at that point, he says, you know what? He's thinking about his experience with the rich young ruler. He says, you know what? It's harder. It, 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 it's hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom. In fact, he said, it, it, it's, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we look at that statement and, and we see it as... as Maybe we start wrestling with the whole issue of wealth and that kind of stuff. This is how the disciples would have seen it. The theology they had in that day was, if you were wealthy, that meant you were blessed. And if you were blessed, it meant because God liked you. And therefore, if you were, God liked you, that meant you got to go to heaven. If you were poor, that meant you weren't blessed. That meant God really didn't like you. And that means you weren't going to go to heaven. So they hear Jesus say, it's hard, for, it's hard for the rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. And they're thinking, now, among us... Those are the people with the best chance. The rest of us got no hope. I mean, that's the way they're looking at it. They're, they're not struggling with wealth and how much money. They're thinking, you know what? These are the people who have the inside track to get into heaven, and they're not going to make it. What about the rest of us poor slobs? And they're really starting to question their assurance, their place in the kingdom. And, 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 and so they say, well, who can be saved? Who's going to make it then? I mean, if the, if the people who are supposed to get in aren't going to get in, then what about what, what, what? And Jesus said, you know what? It's impossible with man, but with, thing, with, man, but with God, all things are possible. And if Peter, he, 
Peter's starting to put the equation. Peter's not dumb. He may be impulsive, but he's not dumb. And he's putting the pieces together. He says, you know what? He says, my whole understanding of who's qualified to get into heaven has just been blown up. And I'm not sure exactly where I stand. He said, but one thing I do know, the decision the rich young ruler couldn't make, I have made. Pick up in the scripture at that point. Verse 27, And Peter responded to him, look, we've left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? We did what the rich young ruler couldn't do. <laughs> we've left it all behind, everything. And maybe didn't have as quite as much as a ring young ruler, ruler but, but Peter had a, a flourishing fishing business. He had a boat, that kind of stuff. He left all that behind. As we know from the Scripture, he left family behind. He left all that behind. He says, we've left everything and followed you. Are are we going to make it? What's our hope? Are we going to get in? This is what Jesus says to him. And I want you to notice immediately that Jesus doesn't reprimand him. This isn't like, Peter, you're being way too selfish. You should just serve God for serving God. You you shouldn't be in it for the rewards. He's, He's not doing that. He gives him a great promise. Let me just read this for you. Verses 28 through 30. I assure you, in other words, you can bank on this. In the Messianic age, in other words, when, when Jesus returns and consummates human history at the end of time, in the Messianic age, when the Son of Man sits on His throne, on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters, father or mother, children or fields, because of My name, will receive one hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But the many who are first will be last, and the last first. What a great promise, huh? Let's pick it apart just a little bit so we understand it. Let's first of all, let's understand the prerequisite of the promise. You know, this isn't a promise that's just for everybody. It's a promise for a certain type of people. Jesus hints at it in verse 28. He says, you who have followed me. Peter indicated that's exactly what they had done in verse 27. Look, we have left everything and followed you. In order to be bearers of this promise, to get to wear the stamp of this promise on our lives, you and I have to meet the prerequisite. We have to be people who have chosen to follow Christ. We have to have embraced faith in Christ. We we can't be like the rich young ruler who kind of wants to have his life and have eternity as well, to kind of have his cake and eat it too, and somehow or another be able to manage what we want to do for God based on our own terms. That's not the way it works. We have to be like Peter and James and John and all the rest of the, the, the apostles. That we, have to, we have to leave it all before and we have to invest it all, all in with Christ. You know, we talk about that all the time, what that means here at Hope Chapel. You know, it's our conviction and understanding that God's intervened in human history in the person of His Son, the one who's teaching us from this passage. That He was fully God, fully man, and He was here to do something that we could never do for ourselves, which was to break down the barrier that's been created between God and man because of our sin, our imperfection, our lack of ability to be able to live the way that God wants us to. And as Jesus paid the price and tore down that wall, you and I can enter into a relationship with God that lasts forever. And that happens by, as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. But as a part of choosing to be a follower of Christ, to, 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 to accept the forgiveness that's offered to us through Christ's death on the cross and to commit our eternal security into the hands of Christ and to walk with Him, we have to go all in. He says those are the people who are the bearers of the promise. That's what it takes. So if we want to be people who live with this assurance, we've got to be sure about where we stand. Are we really followers of Christ? Have we chosen to place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord? If we ask Christ to forgive us of our sins, just the, just the way that we come up short of God's standards, have we, and have we really committed our lives to trusting in Christ and walking with Him? 
And I want to tell you, if you have any reservations about that at all, we are prepared to stand with you one-on-one and visit with you and answer any question you have, help you understand what the Scripture really teaches and make a choice for yourself. We're not out to twist your arm or whatever, but it is the most important decision we ever make in our lives. And there's ways for you to indicate on the back of your connection card how request you know a pastor to follow up or choose to become a follower of Christ, and we'll step through that journey with you. That's the prerequisite. Let's look at the promise for a minute. It's a great promise. Let's just start out with, with verse 28. It says, I assure you. It says, listen, no reason to doubt this. This is absolutely certain. He said, when all of history is done, when this life journey is over, and the Son of Man has come and he's sitting on his glorious throne, you who followed me will also sit in 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, we read a passage like that and we immediately get distracted by the, the details. What does it mean, these 12 thrones? You know, and, 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 and what does it mean to judge? You know, and what does the scripture say? And we start running around, we get all kinds. Of, and what it means that the church is going to judge the, over Israel? And, and we, we wrestle with all that stuff. And I'm not sure I have all the answers. I, I don't think it's necessary for us to have all the answers. I think some of it, the idea of judging as it was used there, was the idea of ruling, which means we get to, we get to share in the rule of Christ. We get to be joint heirs with him. And so since we're equal partners in his inheritance, we get to enjoy that idea of, of being a part of the, the governing authority of God as the rest of eternity takes place. The idea of the, the, you know, the, the church and, 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 and new Israel is the idea that, that the church is the, the continuation, the culmination of the work that God started in Abraham. And he created Israel, and he's culminated it now in the church with this new people of God. He's, he's not done with Israel yet, but God is completing his work in the church. But the biggest message is this. Without all the details, is that if we bear the cross, we get to wear the crown. That's the matter. We get to win. <laughs> you know, I don't know who's going to win tonight's game. I know, I, I know who I hope wins tonight's game. But when you read a passage like this, there's no doubt. Jesus is going to win, and if we're following Christ, we get to win. If we bear the cross, we take up our cross daily and deny ourselves and follow him, you and I, we, we get to wear the crown. We get to sit on the throne. We get to enjoy and participate in the eternal, complete victory of Jesus Christ. It's a great promise, especially to a group of ragabound, you know, kind of uh, uh, apostles who came from all different places of life and etc., and, and here he is, you know, he's saying, you guys are going to get the share in the celebration, the victory that's going to last forever. I want you to see the second part of this promise. And only if we bear the cross, we get to wear the crown. But I want you to see in verse 29 that this, this promise. Jesus says that you are always going to receive more than you release as a part of following me. Take that in again. Verse 29. We release we leave houses. We leave brothers and sisters. We leave father and mother. We leave children. We leave our fields. We release those things. But if we do that, we receive a hundred times more. One of the promises that God makes to us as we struggle with this question of, is it all worth it? Is that whatever we release, whatever we give up in order to follow God, God promises to give us a hundred times full. I got to tell you, in a certain sense, standing up here, I, I don't even know if I'm really qualified to speak about this issue. I mean, I, you know, we, Christina and I have friends that we've been connected with for a long, long time now. We have the privilege of a church of supporting their ministry, Joel and Karen Gray. Joel, would, you know, I met Joel when he was a seminary student at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and he came to our church in Hanover and served as an intern, and, and after I left, he stayed as the interim pastor when I came to work with the denomination for a while, and and Joel and his wife, they, they committed their lives, they invested their lives in Burkina Faso. Now, many of you probably never even heard of Burkina Faso. You know, it's an it's a, it's a extremely poor country in sub-Sahara, West Africa. 
you know, if you're kind of looking at Africa where the kind of the coast turns out on the, the southern side out to the, to the west, there's the Ivory Coast, and just above that is the country of Burkina Faso, one of the poorest countries in the world. When I was there in 2000, the average income was about a dollar a day among the people who lived there. Just, I mean, literally still living in, in mud huts and just going one piece of corn to, one, to the next piece of corn. Just very, very poor people. They've gone and invested their lives there. They've had four children there. <laughs> their kids, when they're home here in the States, and think, they're saying, well, when are we going to go home? They, they can't wait to get back to Africa. You know? But they've, they've given up a lot to be there. Some of that is security. Just the other day, a couple of weeks ago, we got, we got an email from Joel that Karen had taken the children and gone off to, a, I think it was to Niger or Nigeria, um, it's one of those two countries, and um, to participate in a homeschooling convention. And they were out on the section of the road in, 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 in Niger, I think, where there was all, all kinds of, it was just where the bandits are the most active and their car broke down. So here she is with these four kids sitting on the side of the road for hours and hours with nobody to reach out to, no way to get any help until she was able to somehow get a hold of Joel, who was able to get a hold of some other missionary friends in the capital they were headed to, and they were able to drive back out and to meet them and to help them and get them to safety. People make sacrifices. I referred to it in the first service. Allison Clark, who shared with us just a few minutes ago, who's done this great work with the Baptist Convention of New England. You know, she, um, you know, she moved up here from Tennessee and made the Boston area her home. And as her parents aged, and you know, there's a lot that goes with all of that. People give up stuff all the time, but we really do that as well. If we really think through it, if we're really choosing to be followers of Christ, there are places and things and people that you're never going to get to know very well. Just guarantee it. I can look back through and play the tapes through my, my high school and college years, and, and, except, you know, and, it's, and it's amazing. You know, places, my teammates, I never really became deep friends with them because I just wasn't going to do the things that they were going to do. And, and, and you can see there's a sense of loss that goes with all of that. But what Jesus said, you know, whatever you give up, you're going to get it back a hundred times fold. For every brother and sister that you give up, you inherit a whole family spiritual family in the church. God help us. We better be that kind of family. But there's a universal, I'm going to hop on a plane on Wednesday. I'm going to fly for 24 hours to get to Rwanda, and I'm going to step off the plane, and I'm going to be greeted by family. I mean, they're going to be overjoyed to see me. And and I already can sense the the sense of anticipation in my own heart of connecting with them. God gives us back a hundred times fold. Some of the best friends that I have in my life from over the journey. I mean, I was in seminary, became friends with, with Scott Langston, you know, and Scott went on and got his PhD and is, is a, teaches Old Testament and Bible. And, 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 and Scott, it couldn't be more different. If we were in high school together, we wouldn't have been friends. He probably would have hated me, you know? I mean, but, but here, you know, we developed this, you know, he's in the Old Testament studying Hebrew, likes archaeological digs and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, what are you, nuts? You know, and, and, you know, the New Testament's where, anyways, it was very different, you know, and, and yet Scott is, is a lifelong friend. My college days, even though I didn't connect with a lot of people on campus because I just didn't share in the party life that they were doing, some of the best friends that I have, you know, this, this one woman, um, Linda Law, you know, that, that she, I mean, she typed all of my college papers. Now, what kind of a friend is that? You know what I mean? This lady, you know. I, I was terrible at typing. This is back before computers, you know, so if you messed up a few things on the page, you had to do it all over again, you know. I think she was using an IBM Select type, you know, one of those guys, for those of you who've been around a long time. And, and you no, know, that's why I don't type very fast now, because in college, I never, she typed all my papers. You know, I mean, what kind of, you, you can't find those kinds of friendships anywhere else. And when it comes to houses and fields, I mean, 
I'm just amazed. You know, like we have an ice storm and people are calling me saying, I got a generator. Who do you know needs it? You know, and the list just goes on. I, hey, you know what? You need, somebody needs a car. I, we got an extra car. We can loan it to them while their car's in the shop or whatever. And it's just, it's amazing where they rally. You know, we, one of the, Sam Heron in our church, you know, her husband died unexpectedly in the summer and their master bathroom was torn apart. We got men who've been over there putting it back together for free. hundred times fold. You never ever release more than you receive. That's the promise that God gives us. It's a great thing. One last promise. Look at the end of verse 29. And we'll inherit eternal life. We'll inherit eternal life. The promise that Jesus gives us is that if we'll follow him, he'll make it worth it by the fact that we get to live a longer and a better life. It's not just quantity, and forever is a long time, but it's not just quantity, it's also quality. It's a better life. It's a better life now, and it's a better life that lasts for all eternity. I mean, it, it's amazing. It's, heaven's going to be such a much better atmosphere. I can't even begin to put into words for you how much better heaven's going to be than this earth is. I mean, the Scripture tries to go all out, trying to get us to have an appreciation for how beyond description it's going to be. It talks about streets of gold and gates of pearl and just this incredible description. The atmosphere of heaven is going to be beyond any of our imagination. And our experience is going to be so much different because there's going to be no pain. There's going to be no toil. There's going to be no tears. There's going to be no sin. There's going to be none of that stuff. It's just going to be perfect. And relationships are going to be so. We get to be the child of the king. You know, we get to be Prince William and Prince Harry, you know, just born with a silver spoon in our mouth kind of idea. That's the way it's going to be for us. It's interesting that this, this truth so captivated the early church that the emperor Nero needed to stop executing or martyring Christians. You know, he, he, was, he was, you know, there are a lot of things happening. So we don't know all the details, but, but there was a period where he, w- he was executing Christians on a regular basis. And the outcome they were finding was that as these Christians were going to their executions, they were so filled with joy and rejoicing because of what they anticipated what was coming, that the people around them were so impressed that for every Christian who died, there was like a hundred new Christians that took place. And he said, we're going to put a stop to this. It's spreading too fast. So they stopped killing Christians. You know, uh, I mean, it's amazing. God promises us a longer and a better life. He gives us a warning in verse 30. We consider this question of, is it worth it? Or is doing life God's way really the best way? He says, don't get deceived by appearances. He said, looks can be deceiving. Those who seem to be getting ahead, they seem to be having the most fun, the most success, you know, seems to have the inside track to all that stuff because they're willing to do whatever it takes to advance themselves and serve themselves. He says, remember, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. As you walk through life, and you're making these decisions, am I going to believe God's way is the best way, or am I going to do it some other ways? Just remember, looks can be deceiving, because the last will be first. And sometimes it feels like we're coming in last. So as we ask the question, is it worth it? Is it really worth it to follow Christ? I can give you a statement I believe that comes directly from the heart of God. It's more than worth it. It's always more than worth it. Will you follow? Will you make the hardest choice, the most important choice you ever make in your life to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Will you make the hardest choice that you'll ever make, which is to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ? And if we say yes to those, Jesus says, I'll make it worth your while. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your promise. We struggle sometimes in our journey here. We experience difficulties, not only trying to live our own lives, but extend your kingdom. We experience setback and pain and difficulty and broken relationships, and the list just kind of goes on and on. Think about all the things that we've got to stop doing in order to be able to follow you and all the things we need to start doing. And some of it all just makes us tired, and we ask the question, is it worth it? 
God, thanks for speaking so loudly and so clearly today that you'll make it more than worth it. And so we cling to that promise today as we commit ourselves to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.